0: Welcome to the Journal of a Madman podcast, interview edition. Today's guest is the incredible Ruth Watson. Ruth is a mental health advisor for MIND, an entrepreneur of Ecologica UK, a wife, mother and sister and daughter, who is just trying to make the world a little bit better. Ruth talks about the struggles of having three kids under five And she talks openly and frankly about her journey from attempting suicide and being helped from the perinatal mental health crisis team to now being the best version of herself. Remember to like, follow and to leave a review and to subscribe. And to remember to tell at least one friend about this deep dive into the inner workings of a mama's thoughts, fears and truth. Right. Enjoy! Enjoy!
1: Hi Ruth, how are you? I'm great, thank you. Thank you for having me today. I'm looking forward to this chat.
0: No, oh, Thank you so much. I totally appreciate you taking some time out of your busy schedule of parenting and running an amazing business. So oh, thanks thank for coming on.
1: No, it's honestly, it's a pleasure. It's just nice to get a break from the kids to like <laughs> have a bit of time to have an adult conversation, isn't it? <laughs> that
0: is the goal in life. Have your yeah. children, but also have some time away from the children.
1: Yeah. I'm a better man when I'm away from them.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but they have to be on your schedule at all times. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> So um, for anybody listening who doesn't know who you are, this yeah. is now going to be your opportunity to um, set the record straight. Tell yeah. us who you are. So can we have a little whist- whistle stop tour of who you are, what you yeah. do, yeah. how many children you have, family dynamic, go for it.
1: Okay, so I'm Ruth. I am thirty-five, had to think about that. Um, mum to three under five. That's why I had to think about it. Um <laughs> the past five years have been a blur. So I've got a five year old son, a four year old daughter, 13 months between them, and then an eight month old son as well. Um I work for mind, so I work in corporate mental health training by day, and I also run ecological UK, which is an eco business which helps um other families, normal families, that's what we're very keen on, like normal families, to be a bit greener and to make a few swaps. Um, I live at home with my husband, Andy, who works in professional football recruitment um, and data analysis, so like a bit of a boys' subjects there, football, um, professional football. But he also helps with the business as well, and he's really involved and very much like a co-parenting unit, family. We do a lot together, and we're really keen on having that, like, core family values in everything that we do with work. Oh, just
0: that sounds epic, but insanely busy.
1: It, it, I mean, it is we always say we're busy but I think we like to be like that like me and Andy have just celebrated our sixth wedding anniversary literally at the weekend and in that six years we've like both gone freelance set up our own businesses had three kids moved house um, like bought a caravan like just done we just that's just how we are do you know what I mean like we're just that kind them kind of people but it does mean we have to have like quite structured time as well like we have to be organized we don't have family nearby so we have no like informal childcare, no grandparents Um, so it is just us two and the kids for most of the time Um, so it can be chaos but organized chaos we like to think was that a choice to be separate from the family so Andrew's from Blackburn in Lancashire. So we originally, when Andrew and I met, we were up here, like in the northeast, and then we moved away for work to Cheshire, to, and I, live, I was in Liverpool. Um, and so we were down there working. So we've never really been near family. And then I got a job working for Middlesbrough Football Club, and Andy was working in Leeds for William Hill, um, doing betting odds. So like Teesside seemed to be a logical choice between our two works, but my mum and dad are up in Seam So not like a million miles away, my sister's in Easington so they're about like 25 minutes half an hour away and so you know when we do need them they can come you know and like help with the kids or whatever but realistically you know like they've got their own jobs like my mum and dad like my dad still works my sister works so it's tricky so most of the time we are on our own apart from like we occasionally get the grandparents coming to visit to help us out but you know we make it work and that's the beauty of us having these flexible working patterns as well I think that's really helped us
0: definitely so was it a conscious choice to have three under five years old
1: not at all so I had my eldest and um, he came a little bit quicker than expected so I was told just going back a little bit further and um, like I've had gynae issues and I was told um when I was younger probably in my early 20s before I met Andy like you'll struggle to conceive you'll like I had fibroids on my ovaries and I had um pelvic inflammatory disease and flare-ups and things like that and I was always told like you'll find it really difficult to get pregnant if you get pregnant then you've got a risk of miscarriage it's very unlikely you'll carry a healthy baby to term so we did the whole thing of like oh let's start trying because it's going to take a long time and then we might need IVF. And then literally the first month I came off the pill, I was pregnant. So it just like, it's you just never know. Dear. No. So we got pregnant with him. And then I was exclusively breastfeeding. So I am the proof that exclusive breastfeeding is not a reliable form of contraception. (laughs) So on my 30th birthday, three month old baby, first night away from baby, too much gin, got pregnant again. So there's literally 13 months between our eldest two. So she was definitely quicker than we planned but you know what now we wouldn't have it any other way but at the time I remember and this is like really honest when I found out I was pregnant with her I was devastated like I was and, and that's such a horrible thing to say isn't it and I know so many people like would be desperate to to have a baby or have two like and I'd uh, be able to conceive naturally but I was really I was struggling with my first baby still you think like three months old like still in that sleeplessness still not really understanding what being a mum was and then suddenly you're pregnant again and the guilt of like I'm robbing him of his babyhood because I'm gonna have another baby and the exhaustion of being pregnant and it wasn't an easy pregnancy and I just it was just really hard but you know then when she was here like we wouldn't have had it any other way it was really tough and then she was due to start school and we were like if we don't have a third one now like we're in the tunnel we always say like we're in the tunnel of chaos but we can see the light if we get out of the tunnel we'll never go back so we need to have one now so that we've got three under five and then that's it and then I sent Andy for the snip whoop whoop yeah. Trying
0: to get Dale to go for one, he just keeps telling us to shut up.
1: Oh, he should talk to Andy because honestly, it was no like it was nowhere near as bad as he thought. And now he's like, Oh, I've been done. And I think, to be perfectly honest, he thought he would get more if he'd had <laughs> because I was like, Don't come near me, I don't want to get pregnant again. So <laughs> I think in his mind, he was like, Oh, actually, I might be onto a good thing here if I go and get snipped. So yeah, yeah he went and got it done, um, just in the summer. So he's he's neutered, I
0: think. Um... Lads, well, I think it's in general. We don't talk about just mundane things. You only tell the stories of the absolute trauma. So, the only stories Dale's ever heard about the snip is
1: horror stories. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And (laughs) like
0: that, that's not like all of the time. Like, stop focusing on that and just do something for me
1: honestly he went and it was like in a doctor's surgery done on like a clinic I think a smear test is probably more invasive than what he had done Mm -hmm. and then he was like home went Aldi but he did kind of like he was laying in bed for 24 hours giving it the old like oh and I was like I've had three cesarean sections mate you're not getting any sympathy around here but you know like within two weeks I totally healed totally fine so it was really like not I think the most distressing thing for him was that they told him he had to wear like briefs to like support it rather than boxer shorts I think to be honest that was the biggest trauma that he had of the whole procedure little superman
0: pants yeah (laughs) (laughs) so um so the first two yeah the 13 months yeah that must have been life well obviously life-changing to be a parent anyway but yeah did you have any struggles of anything? With, yeah, with I mean, period.
1: it was really hard, really, really hard, and it actually, um. I honestly think now looking back firstly I was totally unprepared for motherhood like I thought I knew everything I'd read all the books I'd done the hypnobirthing course I had this nailed like I am quite a high achieving person so I was like I'm gonna smash this I'm gonna be the best parent and in those first three months of um Seth's life I was like the parent who had like we were doing like multiple baby groups a day and you know like I was that really annoying parent like I was was so like on it all the time like I felt under so much pressure to be perfect to have the house spotless to have everyone round to go on play dates and be out all the time and look immaculate but underneath all that I think I had postnatal depression because I'd had an induction failed induction emergency section and my head was not in a good place I think I was quite traumatized by that and then if you imagine you're in that headspace and then you find out you're pregnant again I think honestly it's not an overstatement to say that i was i was traumatized and then we found out we were going to have to have another have to have another section
0: why was that um, then? If you don't mind
1: me asking. So, no, not at all. So my liver started to fail, and um, so I, I had cholestasis of the liver in my second pregnancy. So it wasn't my liver wasn't filtering, and obviously the toxins then were worried about the transfer of toxins to the baby through the placenta. So they basically said to me when I was about thirty six weeks pregnant, you know, if we don't get this baby out now she might not make it and then it was only in that moment in the hospital I thought like I want this baby I really want her and I can't lose her um but then so we had her and I was recovering from the section and then when she was five weeks old she got meningitis and again like it brought up a lot of emotion around like I was being almost I felt I told myself that I was being punished because I hadn't like, you know, because I, I had not wanted her or because I didn't deserve her. And she was going to get taken away. And um, she got sepsis. I got sepsis. And it was really traumatic. And bear in mind, at this point, I've still got a one year old, um, you know, at home and I'm in hospital. My mum and dad have got the one year old. I've got sepsis. Andy's with the baby. She's been brought to me to feed while I'm on an IV drip. It was just so traumatic. And then I came out of hospital, and as I mentioned before, Andy was working in Leeds, so he was doing fourteen-hour days away from home. So I was at home, mentally going through all of this trauma, physically still recovering, breastfeeding two babies, co-sleeping cool two babies, two under eighteen months, and I just, I just thought, I don't want to be here anymore. Like I can't do this, and whenever. I said to anybody I'm struggling like I said to my health visitor like I, oh I can't I feel under pressure I would have panic attacks trying to leave the house because I would think that people could think I couldn't cope but actually I couldn't cope but I didn't want people to think that I couldn't cope so I was not going to baby groups and I wasn't and I was having panic attacks because I was thinking well what if we're out and the both start crying or and I just started to stay in the house and I mentioned it with a few people like my sister my mom my friends like I'm not coping very well or, I, or it's really hard. And I either got there, oh, you're doing amazing. You're a super mom. Like, don't be silly. You're doing an amazing job, which isn't what I wanted to hear. Like, because I I felt like, oh, well, I can't ask for help now because i You I've didn't tried. feel like a
0: superhero. I did
1: not. And what I wanted them to go was like, okay, I've heard you say that. What can I do to make it easier? But it was kind of like just brushed off with like, you're doing an amazing job, which I think we can be really guilty of when we see moms in difficult situations however old the kids are and they go oh I'm having a really difficult time because my kids like going through whatever we go oh man you're doing an amazing job but actually what we want is some validation of like it's flipping mm. hard like it's bloody hard work you've exhausted what can I do like can I bring you something can I take the kids and and I just felt like nobody's listening to me nobody cares I think Andrew sort of knew what was going on but He couldn't really help. Like we were just in this really, let's be honest, shitty situation. And I just thought, I can't. These kids deserve a better mum. And I don't want to be here. And I did try to take my own life. And when she was five months old, um, which led to you know the police being called, perinatal crisis team being called, and someone came out to me. And that was the first time that I felt like somebody actually listened to what I was saying and said you're not crazy, I know you don't think you're doing a good job but you've been holding this together and now you're just falling apart at the seams a little bit but it can get better and we can help you and we can support you and then from then on was just a journey of recovery really and it's sad like I can speak about it now in quite an emotionless way and I think people are sometimes surprised but I'm so well now that I feel like it's almost like that happened to somebody who wasn't me. And I look back at me and I feel sorry and I feel sad for that person. Do you know what I mean? Does that make yeah. sense? Because it's like that was so horrible to go through and I never would want to wish that on anybody. But I can see now, like, I'm so glad that obviously I didn't take my life and nobody took my kids away from me, which was my main worry, because it was never about them. You know, I never didn't love them. I never didn't want them. I just thought they deserved better than what I could give them. So, you know, here we are and everything's good and grand and recovered to the point so much that I did feel comfortable to have another baby. And thankfully, you know, touch wood. I've not experienced postnatal depression or perinatal mental health crisis again or any kind of that panic or any of that with my third baby. So he's benefiting and my other kids are very happy, balanced, you know, thriving. well cared for children mm. who are thriving. Yeah. So it's a funny one because I think I mean, I still do have anxiety and they still see that. But for me, that's important as well that they see that like mum has these feelings and we all have feelings. And I'm not trying to shield them from it, but obviously I'm conscious of like I don't want to negatively impact them by, you know, with, with mental health problems, you know, by my the way I am. But for me, it's important that they say that we all have mental health and we all have these fluctuations in how we feel or how we're coping. And actually that's okay. And it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to be honest about it. So that's probably informed my parenting that trauma is probably completely changed the way I've chosen to parent them from that point on from her being six months old
0: yeah can I take you back to that night where yeah everything changed so what was the trigger point for that night
1: so we were actually on holiday um I was on holiday with my mom and dad and sister and brother and Andrew and the kids and we were at a caravan park um and we were in swimming and we'd been swimming and they all got out of the pool and got champ this sounds like really blamey and it isn't meant to be because it's just one of them things it was like Or we got out of the pool, went and got changed. And I was breastfeeding Romilly in a wet swimming costume with a baby wrapped in a towel, breastfeeding her. And Seth slipped and banged his head in the changing room. And his head was like bleeding a little bit. And I was just on my own, sobbing on my own, breastfeeding this five month old baby, soaking wet in a swimming costume, while the people who were supposed to be there to support me were just getting on. You know, and I just felt so alone and so overwhelmed and so guilty because he banged his head, which, you know, let's face it, it's like a tiny thing, isn't it? And like, this is the thing, actually, the incident itself, that's like a tiny thing, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It wasn't like a massive, massive flare up, a massive thing. And I was so exhausted and I thought, hang on, we've come on a family holiday And it's just, it's still just me, even though I've brought everybody to support me. And this is meant to be a break for me. Actually, I'm still here, the one holding all the shit and having to deal with everything. And I just thought, there's no way out of this, is there? Like, there's no other way that I'm going to get support. If I can't even get support and a break and a sleep and a rest on holiday with all of these adults around me to look at help me look after these kids then I'm never gonna get it and nobody understands and nobody's listening and I went off on my own I kind of went into fight or flight mode and I was like that's it and and I kind of went off on my own um and it was very scary and I don't even think it was necessarily that I wanted to end my life you know what I mean I think it was like I just didn't want that anymore and I couldn't couldn't say another way to get the support but actually obviously now I understand there isn't there there are other ways of course there are other ways but I think when your head's in that headspace you just can't even see that can you just so consumed by it and yeah I just thought these kids deserve better than this and I deserve better than this so you said the police were
0: called yeah so did you just walk away
1: (laughs) yeah and I was we were at um we were actually at a cliff top so I'd gone off and said that's it like that's it I'm done bye have a nice life look after them I'm done and I went off and my mum in a panic phoned the police because she didn't know what else to do Um, and she rang the police within seconds the police were there And brought me back I sat me in the boot of my mum and dad's car (laughs) so I couldn't go anywhere in the
0: with the boot down (laughs) no they they did let me
1: have the boot up so I could you know I was fine and do you know what actually there was it was a one of the police there was three police officers one of them was a female police officer and she she was the one who was like I know how you feel. And she, now I realise she'd obviously had an experience where she'd maybe experienced postnatal depression. But I think we are a lot more aware of postnatal depression and things like that. But I do feel it's still a very like, like flippantly used term and like we talk about it, but we don't really like to think about it or really talk about what it means. And she was like, I know, I've I know what it's like when you don't want to even open the curtains, when you don't want to even get dressed, and like you're not failing them, and you're all you as you are are all those babies need, and we're gonna keep you safe and we're gonna get you well, and you'll look back on this and you'll see that this was just a moment. And I didn't believe her at that time and I was just crying and crying and crying, and um, and they called the perinatal mental health team and out to me at the caravan, mm-hmm. um, <laughs> and they came, and she came out and spoke to me and kind of got me referred into services and support. So, like, but it's I remember what that kind of police officer said to me, and I wonder whether you know if she hadn't been a woman or a mum or in a similar situation to me would that have made a difference but you know through all the kind of fuzz and blur of it like that kind of like kept coming back to me what she said and then you know I was referred um to the GP for antidepressants and put into CBT and counselling um all of which I'd done before so I'd, I'd had counselling and therapy and antidepressants previously um And again, you know, I I went to the GP and the GP said, you know, have you had thoughts of taking your own life? And even then I felt embarrassed to say to the GP, yes, I do feel suicidal because I feel like I was still thinking at that point, social services are going to knock on my door any minute. You know, the health visitor is going to come round. Even the health visitor did come round and I was frantically cleaning because I didn't want her to think that I couldn't cope, even though the very reason she was coming round was because I couldn't cope. And it's like... I was so conditioned into wanting everyone to think that everything was okay that even in the midst of this crisis, I still couldn't fully like submit and like just say enough is enough. You know, I can't do this. But then you at the same time
0: wanted people to realise what was going on. But it's you didn't mad, want people it? to realise yeah, what was going I know, on. You're in a and complete it's... battle with yourself, aren't totally, you?
1: Totally, yeah. Because I've never ever, as a person, aside from being a mother, like I've always wanted to like never wanted to fail, always wanted to appear very competent, you know, at work or at school, I was always like the one who wanted to be the first finished and the best and like win the awards and get the certificates and get praise. And for me, motherhood was just another thing I was going to add to that list of things I was amazing at. But ironically, by trying to have this perfect, perfect parenting, I ended up unraveling. But I always think like it's only in the unraveling that I could re-ravel. Do you know like it was only in the undoing of me that actually I am a far better parent and a and a, I actually I'm an amazing mum and I know that I am now, but I'm actually better because I went through that and I had that weakness and I had to let everything go. I had to stop trying to be perfect. And now I feel like that's actually teaching the kids better lessons as well in terms of like I don't put half as much pressure on them to be perfect and spotless and clean and tidy and high achieving because ultimately if I'd carried on the way I was I probably would have like subconsciously pushed all of that on them and ended up probably causing them more harm than good. Whereas now, ironically, I'm the more relaxed parent like, (laughs) which people find really strange. But I'm probably now the one that's like just being who you are it's okay to feel how you feel and that was not what I would have been like before that that kind of point so what happened
0: after so you've got you've got your antidepressants you've got your therapy how did we get Ruth now what what happened
1: so um a perfect storm really so this happened in the September well it happened in the October obviously leading up so she was pulling the July August and went home getting worse getting worse this incident happened in the October and then Andy was made redundant the first week of December so again shitstorm because I'm thinking what the hell am I going to do how are we going to pay anything I've got now two babies under 18 months I'm on statutory maternity pay He's redundant. It's two weeks before Christmas. And it was like, oh, my God, how are we going to cope? But actually. It was a total turning point for us because Andrew was there more. He was able to understand what it was like to be at home looking after two babies. We were able to totally co-parent. So I was getting much more rest. I was able to go out and be me and do things That weren't being a man because previously I was on my own with the kids 14 hours a day. Andrew was coming home trying to give me a break, but he was up at four o'clock in the morning. So then I was still doing all the night feeds, all the core sleeping. And he was in another room in a different bed. So he didn't really understand, I don't think, until he was made redundant, what it is like to be at home and to have the kids. So and then when he was then looking for work or like moving forward from that in the January, February he was like no I want to be part-time I want to be close at home I want to be flexible working so from then on we had much more balance but that gave me the time and space I needed to work on myself and so like for me that was you know yes therapy and but also you know setting up the business so for me the business was a form of therapy to like give me something that was mine that I
0: if nobody knows what um ecological <coughs> is, give yeah. us, tell us what that is.
1: So we started off kind of selling eco products. So we were kind of making eco-friendly changes anyway. And when Andrew was made redundant, it was really important because we had absolutely bugger all money that we were trying to save as much money as we could. So I threw myself into like Secondhand buying, meal planning, saving energy on our bills, all of those things and I started to like basically kind of put it on Instagram what we were doing and people started to like it and comment and tell me like I find what you're doing really inspirational which obviously for me was quite a confidence boost and I kind of like wanted to do more and naturally I want to help people and educate people because I'm an ex-teacher so like for me it kind of felt much more like I had a purpose outside of being a mom and then I was like we need money we're buying these products can I sell these products to people so I started to get some wholesalers and buy in the products in bulk and then I could sell them on and then I started doing markets and events and pop-ups and then now I do a lot more like workshops and guest speaking and blogging and podcasting like this and all kinds of things and for me this is like yes the kids are still very much central to everything we do like when we came to the mama social parenting convention like the kids come up on the stage they're with me so yeah I'm still being a mum but for me it's twofold like one I want them to see me being a strong woman and and helping people and making a difference and being a positive influence But also, you know, it's good for me because it gives me something to do outside of being a mum as well. And if I can help other families have that and have that balance. And for us, like balance is the absolute key word. Like we won't do things that interfere with them and their life. We want to put them first, but it's not all about all about them, which is the mistake I was making was everything in the world. And it was to the point of self-sacrifice. So now it's much more like, I do market sometimes they come with me sometimes they don't depends if they want to but like it's all about having that balance of something for me and something for them now with the business so and we love it the kids love it we love it so it's all good
0: yeah just thinking if Andy hadn't lost his job though (coughs) yeah no your recovery might have been slower
1: completely
0: like your business wouldn't have grown or even became something so everything happens for a reason I'm a massive believer in that
1: absolutely and I think at the time you know when people get made redundant um it's like oh my god this is the worst thing ever but actually with some distance Andrew will say now it's the best thing that ever happened to him um (coughs) sorry and he says actually she was Romilly our daughter was six months old and he said the day he got made redundant we went to Beamish and he was like I don't know her I don't Mm. know her I don't know what she's like I've not spent time with her like I and that's that's hard as well that was hard for him and I think as a dad as well people don't realize how impactful that can be that he could see maybe that I was struggling maybe not to the extent but he he was helpless he didn't know what to do because he has to go to work he has to earn money but he was he said he would be driving to work every day filled with dread of like am I going to get a phone call of her in tears saying she can't cope and that must be a horrible feeling for the partner to go through as well as the person experiencing it and it's just like a really horrible cycle that you can get into so yeah for him it was the best honestly as a family redundancy was the best thing that ever happened to us and um, and now he's much happier he's pursued a career in something that he loves and built that up and like he does he's doing the school runs he takes the kids to gymnastics so we are now totally a team like there's no oh, mom's the primary caregiver, dad's like the weekend dad. Like we are 50-50, it is completely 50-50 with everything. The only thing I do that Andy doesn't is breastfeed. <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, so is that how you got into Mind then, working with Mind?
1: Yeah, so again, for me, it was like a total pivotal point in my life because I was actually working for another charity um, called Young Enterprise which was actually helping young people set up their set up businesses to raise their aspirations so I was working with schools across the Northeast to help young people who were struggling in those schools who were at risk of like maybe unemployment or like difficulty in school to get them to set up little businesses to make money and develop entrepreneurial skills for their CV and I loved it But it was traveling literally from Berwick to North Yorkshire. So I was leaving the house, you know, when I went back to work, I was leaving the house at six o'clock in the morning, seven o'clock in the morning sometimes. And so I just like I need more balance here. Like, what can I do? And then I was like, hang on. I've got lived experience. I'm a teacher teacher. Let me go and work for MIND and let me train people and talk to people and teach people about mental health. So I'm not a counsellor, I'm not a trained therapist, but I now go into like workplaces, organisations, groups and teach about mental health. So teach about resilience, teach suicide awareness, teach mental health first aid. And again, I, I love it because I feel like I'm giving back. I'm using my lived experience but I'm helping other people that hopefully nobody else has to go through what I went through. So it's a very satisfying job. And again, they're great term in terms of working around the kids as well. So, um, yeah, I, like I, I can't imagine now not working for Mind, but I probably would have never worked for Mind. Yeah without that experience and obviously mind are a great employer in terms of they want to employ people who have lived experience of mental health which is quite unusual when you go into a job interview and you the first thing you say is like I'm I'm a mental I've got mental health problems like that's usually in a job interview you're like don't mention the anxiety (laughs) don't mention the depression don't mention the self-harm or the suicide or the OCD or whatever like it's something that they actively want to have people who have that experience because it's so powerful when you're talking to other people and they're like oh my god that's exactly how I felt and I thought I was the only person in the world who had that experience and like you know with what you do like that connection is so powerful like that ultimately it's the isolation and the loneliness and the stigma of it all that is really what keeps people dragged down I think
0: definitely so what was your childhood like
1: so very sort of standard traditional childhood so like I say I grew up in Siem my mum and dad met when they were teenagers my mum was only 15 16 being married so my mum and dad are still married they've been married since my mum was 20 they had me and when they're out they were 24 so I've grown up with like mum and dad living in a house me my sister and then a big gap so there's 13 years between me and my brother but like me and my sister very standard childhood very happy i grew up with like my nana living four doors or five doors up my granddad and granddad living round the corner my uncle round the corner it was like very much that like very i think what a lot of people who come from mining villages in the northeast experience of like Everybody knows everybody, like my friends all married other friends and my mum and dad's friends all went to school together. Everybody knew each other. I had loads of like unofficial aunties and uncles, you know, like you're just your mum's friend or your dad's friend. And like very much like um, sort of a very typical happy childhood. I was probably tiger parented a little bit in that like my mum and dad wanted the very best for us which of course all parents do but we were those kids who were like violin practice gymnastics then brownies then this then that and my mum just like drove us from activity to activity to activity because they wanted us to have every opportunity that they hadn't had and wanted us to do really well and I think that was the route I was going down before I had a breakdown that I probably thought that was the right way to parent was to throw baby massage baby yoga baby sensory baby this like da, 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 and make sure he had every experience like we must do water babies and music practice and a play group and a coffee like every day and and then I realized actually sometimes it's okay for him to sit at home with a little bit see babies. like that's no one's gonna you know die from that so maybe inadvertently I felt some pressure to be that like tiger parent and I think maybe that's what people thought I would be like um is the people
0: is the people family
1: yeah probably family friends um so I've always like a lot of my friends I left home at 18 to go to uni and then went traveling and then did the whole like career going up the career ladder moved away like I said met Andrew moved away spent the whole of my 20s like party girl traveling wild like Geordie Shore lifestyle And then people always said, like, obviously, a lot of my friends from school by that point, by like 22, 23, 24, were like with their boyfriend that they'd had at school, bought a house, had a baby. And I was like seen as the like career wild flighty one. And I don't think anybody ever thought I'd be maternal. Or I think they probably thought that I'd be like, right, next thing on my to do list of being successful, pop a baby out, get back to work, be a CEO, like And I just don't think that people had me pegged as this like attachment parent, earth mother, (laughs) like kind of like breast, like my mum said about breastfeeding that she never thought I'd breastfeed because she thought I'd be one of these where I'd be like, oh, I don't, I want my body back and I want my life back and I don't want to be tied to a baby where actually I've like extended breastfed all all of my kids so it's funny that yeah like my family my friends my colleagues if you ask them like pre-child me they wouldn't recognize this person like they just would not think that I would have been maternal or bothered or like wanting to be with my kids at all they would have seen it as just like pop it out get it off
0: isn't that mad that you can have this first life pre-baby And then everything changes because it re- re- readjusts everything in your life, doesn't it? So yeah. you've had this full rebirth of yeah. who Ruth is. Yeah. Now, have you found that you've lost some friendships along the way because of that?
1: It was tricky because a lot of my friends who so I've said like a lot of my friends who are from home that have been you know like your friends that you've grown up with your
0: school mate yeah
1: school friends and like home friends are, I call them but like they've obviously that some of their kids are a lot older than mine they're like 10 11 13 because they settled down very young but then all of my like career party going out friends were like oh god I don't want to have kids so they are only just starting to have kids now at like 35 so now so There was that, like, I wouldn't say lost friendship, but, like, when I then had... So I was 29 when I had, Seth, 30 when I had Romilly. There was that, like, distancing because they were still going out, spending their money on, like stuff that obviously I didn't have the money it's <laughs> like stuff on so they were going on holidays buying nice cars going out for nice meals like having their own time buying lovely clothes all the time and all of those things like climbing the career ladder going like doing more and more education degrees and masters and doctorates and then suddenly like you say my priorities are totally shifted so it was like they didn't have the same interests as me anymore because even though we were mates and i love them a bit and they're still some of my best friends it was like we don't really have that in common anymore all i want to do is send you pictures of my baby rolling over and like all you're doing is sending me pictures of you in a bifer like
0: rolling over
1: mint <laughs> yeah rolling over but like and that's mint and i'm so happy for you but like there's more like i think i realized there's a bit more a life than that or like it was a bit separate but now they've had babies like they're right back there again because their kids are little and they get it now and like I think that connection because we've the friendship was always there it was just that like distancing and coming back together in terms of our priorities and I think that's like you said like the day I became a mom like it was all about them it was like my priorities totally changed And like now my kids always look mint and have amazing clothes and then I'm like rocking around in like a scruffy old sweatshirt that I've had for 10 years do you know what I mean like same. and like it's all like Christmas it's before that it was all about like bling and going out and now it's all about them like if they're happy I'm happy a holiday for me is like you know Rory the Tiger bouncing around on the stage and me giving it a bit of like coke or melon like that's what life is about for me now and maybe when they're a bit older it'll change again I've no doubt you know we keep saying when we're on a cruise when they're when they've left home and we're back out like we'll be back in Ibiza rocking it up you know when we're 50 but I just think that's life isn't it you have these like fluctuations yeah. of like Interest in life life phase more than anything, I think.
0: Seasons.
1: Yeah, it is absolutely. And I think it's like if you've got your fundamentals of your friendship there, and I think as a mom as well, sometimes I'm like, they'll message me and then I'll be like, oh, I've read your message, but like it's a week and then I'm like, oh shit. Sorry, I totally read your message and then I forgot a reply. And the friends who are mums are like. Don't worry, we've all been there. But my friends who weren't mums were like, ugh, you're like sly bitch, you read my message and you've not responded because they just didn't get it. And now I think they get it much more. And so they feel like I'm not snubbing them. They understand that it's just life. Like life happens when you're a mum, and whether you wanted to or not. Yeah. Is
0: there anything if you could go back to being 18, what would you tell yourself oh. about that period that <laughs> what the next 10 years would be like next 10 12 years would be like
1: um I think I would say for me I would need to tell myself just stop worrying about what it looks like and concentrate on how it feels so for me I was always bothered about like what other people thought or what it looked like on social media or like even in terms of like I met Andy when I was 24 but I was like constantly like Desperately, like, I really need a boyfriend. I really need a perfect boyfriend. And, like, the minute I was like, oh, God, men, I'm sick of men. It was like, oh, in walks Andy. So it was like, I think sometimes I was so hung up on how how I wanted things to pan out in my plan that I was probably missing opportunities and not enjoying stuff. So from the surface, if you looked at my Instagram or my Facebook, it would look like I had the um, most amazing life. And I did. Like, those experiences were real, but, like, it didn't give me the same – feeling that like now when I'm at you know sensory play and the kids are like rolling around in paint, and I get that feeling that warm feeling like that's what was missing so I would go back and say to myself like how does it feel not how does it look does that make sense
0: yeah 100% absolutely did social media change your parenting or or what
1: I think it's a tricky one because Um, I, I think especially in those early days when I was going through perinatal mental health crisis because I'd had this like I would say like insta life I had this I'd created this like me going out with the girls and all of these pictures on Instagram I felt the pressure to keep that up as a parent as like a perfect parent so if if Seth was dirty I would change him straight away I would have the house tidy so now, and now all I do is I just put him in a corner that is tidy or a tidy a corner that so it looks a bit tidier do you know what I mean and we're all guilty of it aren't we but I think for us as parents now like I got Facebook was kind of just coming out when I was at uni so all of my like uni and 20s were in that like very Facebook sort of like era where everyone was posting all this stuff And so now I think it's a little bit more real life. I still post stuff on social media about them a lot because of the business and also Mm -hmm. because we have family and friends all over. But I'm a little bit more now like, like I will put on like, oh, this is my kids, look at them being assholes, like Insta versus reality moments. And I think that's very liberating to just be like, I don't care if they've got chocolate on the face. I don't care if they've got like a nappy hanging between the knees, like all of these things, that's just life. And the people who care about you, your real friends and family, they want to see that anyway. Like yeah. they just want to see the kids walking or playing. They're not bothered about what the background of your, you know, kitchen looks like or whatever.
0: 100%. Um, What would you like the kids to remember about their childhood and about you as a mother okay that's tricky
1: um I think for me it's so important that they know that they are loved as they are I'm getting a bit emotional here but like that oh, um, I didn't god Kayleigh man, what are you doing to me? Sorry. but like that that actually however they are whatever they do that they are loved and that I flip neck, <laughs> that I accept them for who they are and that that's whether they are amazingly successful whether they are having a really crap day whether they tell me to get lost whether they do what I want whether they are like misbehaving and I'm cross with them that I still love them and accept them and I want them to kind of remember that about me that I was always like there for them um and put them first really bloody hell I didn't expect to get emotional my god what have you done to me
0: I cracked you
1: <laughs> yeah you cracked, you cracked me but yeah I think for me that's really important and again you know going back to what I said before I think for me a lot of that was I I thought that them feeling loved came from giving them stuff hmm. from like giving them all these amazing experiences giving them stuff getting the picture taken with Santa and it's perfect and blah, blah, blah. but actually sometimes like we think one of our kids is neurodiverse and has an issue so for them going to see Santa it was actually a really stressful experience so, so why am I going to put them through that
0: Ruth can you just explain that a little bit because I yes. don't know what that is
1: so we suspect that our eldest has some kind maybe of like he's on the autistic spectrum or he basically has a spicy brain and he calls it his spicy brain
0: brain, I love that
1: so we call it spicy brain he's not formally diagnosed but we've noticed a lot of kind of sensory issues and traits and personality kind of behaviors and things that he adopts which would indicate that to us and it's okay and that's part of, you know, accepting and loving him for how he is. But we've I've tried to do that whole like you will go to a group where there's loads of people, or you will go to a big Halloween trick or treating or fireworks or whatever. And actually for him, that's incredibly stressful overwhelming uh, he ends up crying I would end up crying and so now I'm just like do you know what son we'll roll with it we'll rock with it whatever you want to do is absolutely fine do you want to get dressed up no that's fine you go as cat boy like so he sometimes goes on a normal day as cat boy and then on a, on a dressing up day he's the one in like normal clothes and that's okay but those things again I think have had to make I've I've realized that previously i would have forced him maybe to do things not that sounds wrong like encouraged him taking him along to things that actually were triggering for him or difficult for him and now i really don't give a shit what other people think or if my kids are having a sensory meltdown in the middle of asda over a pokemon comic like i would have been embarrassed i would have pulled him out of there i would have like made a bit like oh god i feel really frustrated now i'm just like sorry like I'll sit on the floor with you until you feel like you're over it. So I'm I'm very different in how I parent now because exactly like we're saying, I don't really care what people think anymore and that is so liberating. But I think sometimes you have to go through something horrible to actually come to that realisation that nine times out of ten people don't give a shit and if they do, it says more about them than it does about you.
0: Well, that's an amazing place to put a little pin in it there. Yeah. So... <laughs> I don't know if you've heard this bit on the podcast. We've got the parent Oh, yeah. The jar. It's an actual jar. I didn't
1: um, know it was an actual jar. <laughs> actual jar.
0: So um, our beautiful followers on Instagram have put some tips in yeah. for, for us to dig about. And I'll read one out. And then I want your opinion. Okay. Right? Oh, God. And you may regret that. <laughs> <laughs> I will not. I love your opinion. Um, and then I will message you and I'll write yours and put it in for you so oh this is this you've already said this the pull-out method doesn't work tried and tested (laughs) three times hold on is this you I now have three (coughs) this you did you write this one
1: I didn't but I can (laughs) confirm it is not an effective form of contraception uh yeah it's not like contraception is just a nightmare and we actually call Andy super sperm he'll not thank me for saying this but some of my friends are like honestly super sperm bearing in mind we were sleeping in separate bedrooms wow. like at the time my, my mom was like and not a conversation when I have with your mom but she was like can Andy sperm travel through walls like <laughs> but we always say like all we have to do is shake hands and I get pregnant so that's why you had to be officially snipped Love it. So I'm gonna do another one because okay. that was a
0: quick one. Um, don't put all the ex- don't buy all the expensive gadgets, including cots. They don't. We don't use them.
1: One hundred percent. So this obviously being an eco family, we are very big on not buying you, not wasting your money. When we had even our eldest, we got more things secondhand, like. And actually, it was lovely because we used, like, our friends gave us stuff. And then, like, we've got, like, pages on Facebook with, like, passing it on, like, mums passing stuff on. So, we got clothes. We didn't We didn't get a pram at first. Like, we got given a pram. But then he was a Velcro baby and he was always in a, like, in a sling or a wrap. So... I thought if I'd paid like three grand for a pram or a perfect prep machine, for example, was another thing I was like, oh, I need a perfect prep machine. But then I ended up breastfeeding. So that would have been a total waste of money. So I think, yeah, okay, like a baby needs somewhere to sleep that's safe. They need clothes to wear, but don't waste your money buying all these outfits. I mean, God, people give you like dry, clean only newborn outfits. They're not going anywhere. Just stick them in a sleep suit. Like it doesn't matter. Do you know, like... All of these outfits that you buy, all of these toys that they never play with, because they grow so fast. You spend so much money on these things and it's just a total waste. And I found you can get secondhand things or pass things on or borrow things that are in nearly new condition Mm. if you need them at all. So I'm 100% in agreement with that statement.
0: Honestly, um, I'm having this running argument with me, ma'am, as of late about even not me not buying Ava <laughs> things. Oh. And I'm like, but does she look like she's without? Like, yeah. Like, my mum's of the, we were never without, you know, she went, yeah, yeah. she was skinned because she would just buy us something yeah. every, every week. And with Freddie, I, we did that, you know, the whole playroom over there is just full of Freddie's things. eva has got four little boxes. Yeah. And what I've realised is she either wants to play with all of Freddie things. Yeah. Or she's she just loves tipping things out, and yeah. putting them in somewhere else, yeah. and then just continuing that. So to me, it's like find what your child is into. So yeah. stacking things, even in uh, just piling things up, moving them yeah. out. So for Christmas, I want to just buy some pack lunch boxes and just yeah. let her play with them instead of spending three hundred quid at Smith's on yeah. you know toys that you might play with for half a second and never play with again. But
1: it's the mam guilt, isn't it? Especially oh. when you've got more than one child as well. Because like you say, we probably were more like that with our first, like buying him lots of toys for his mm-hmm. first Christmas or birthday. And now like baby three, he's had like eight quid spent on him for Christmas. Cause it's yeah. like, we've got, everything and mm-hmm. like yeah you just buy a few talking things because you don't want the other two to say but well, why did Santa not bring him anything mm-hmm. so like you've got that thing but ultimately like yeah you've just got and the, do you know what the cost you enough money is to get older uh-huh. so like save your money now while a little because you will end up spending it eventually so our kids have got a savings account and we say to like family like if you really feel strongly put money in the savings account buy them experiences so like a farm pass or swimming lessons or a holiday or stuff like that so you can still treat them without buying them crap that none of us want and I don't want to just spend my whole whole life tripping over a tide in a way yeah
0: we started doing that last year experiences because my mum and dad would spend more money than us on Freddie, because we didn't have Eva. Um, but last year I was like, right, we're going to London. We love the theatre. Freddie yeah. loves the theatre. Eva was just born, so she stayed here with the other side of the grandparents. And at first, my mum and dad were like, what we can't get them anything and i'm like you are spent it was 150 pound frozen on the west end like
1: my god
0: that is more than enough and he still (laughs) talks about that experience yeah the thousand pound you spent on paw patrol the year before you know there's still some under the bed that he's not even opened so to me it's about them experiences about oh yeah formative experiences instead of plastic crap so i totally yes. agree with absolutely everything that you are doing and i'm just super proud to be on your radar uh,
1: thank you D- oh absolutely 100 well thank you very much
0: i much yes, appreciate you. Yeah. bye ruth and that's it all done if you'd like to share your own crazy stories on Pern, please follow me on instagram and send me your journal entries at mama social core and i promise to keep them anonymous if you want me to also remember to hit follow subscribe share and if you want to leave me a little review i'd really appreciate your feedback so that's it have a great day and see you soon